Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Kimmer. And Crystal Bonham is back in studio with us today. She's a senior advisor in communications here at the Heritage Foundation. Crystal, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me again. Well, and Crystal, I recently just joined a club that oh. you are also oh. a part of. It the is club. the <laughs> club, the 30s club. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> I genuinely believe that life starts at 30. So, okay. You know, it's only, you I know, feel, you've I got a lot more to look alive. forward to. I feel more alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I turned 30 on Monday and, you know, everyone's like, do you feel different? Do you feel different? I definitely don't feel different, but it is weird to be like, the, the 20s are behind me no more can I say I'm in my 20s obviously because now I'm in my 30s and it's a little bit of a funky thing like okay that it didn't necessarily go fast but I've heard I I do feel encouraged because Crystal like you've said I've heard so many women say very positive things about the 30s that you're figuring out who you are in your 20s and then the 30s, like you're almost getting to live that out a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, 100%. No, I totally I totally believe that. And I think that, I mean, even now when you reflect on like early 20s and you're like, I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew what I wanted or, you know, what I wanted in my career and personal life and all the things. And you're like, wow, I was still a child. <laughs> <laughs> but all the growth that happens in your 20s is 100%. so fun. So, yeah. It's such a stretching time. And that self-discovery is really neat. You learn so much about yourself. Hopefully that continues in your 30s. I assume it does in I a way. So. Maybe it just looks a little I mean, different. I'm barely going to be 31 later this year. So it's not like I have a whole You're lot of experience under my here. belt. Baby steps into the 30s, Crystal. Yeah. You know, as an experienced 30-something, uh-huh. let me tell you. Uh-huh. Let me tell you how life is. Yeah. Maybe we'll call on Lauren for that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, oh. she's a real experienced in her 30s. Yeah, this is true. Oh, man. Well, I was incredibly uh, blessed by so many people and all the kind birthday wishes. And our studio right now has streamers in it, which I did not expect to come in this morning and find streamers in the studio. But thank you all for all the birthday wishes. Very fun. And let's go. Let's go 30. Let's do it. And let's go with this podcast. We have, <laughs> we have great things in store. Kristen, what do we have queued up? Up on today's Problematic Women, a new poll shows American patriotism is down after COVID-19. We explained what the possible implications could be. Plus, an image of the Pope in a puffer jacket went viral, but it wasn't even real. AI generated the photo, which has some troubling implications. Also on today's show, we explain why a fire in a migrant center in Mexico uh, Mexico is a reminder that the border is still in crisis and that the American people deserve a secure border. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are slowly learning more and more about what the devastating effects of COVID-19 were on society and specifically on America. A new Wall Street Journal poll conducted by NORC at the University of Chicago has revealed some of the specifics, and it's pretty bleak. First, we need to rewind to 2019. So I want to give you some stats from 2019. What were some of the values that Americans hold? So 
back, rewind, 2019, 89% of Americans thought hard work was very important. Okay, so that's the vast majority of the country. Hard work is very important. And over six out of every 10 Americans thought patriotism was very important. So over 60% of Americans felt like patriotism was a huge value. Almost half of all Americans, 48%, saw religion as really important, and 43% saw having children as important. Okay, now cue the pandemic. Fast forward to today. Oh, these stats are a little bit discouraging. So remember, 2019, 89% of Americans thought hard work was really important. Today, that number is 67%. Remember, over 60% of Americans in 2019 were uh, were very patriotic, felt like patriotism was important. That number, 38% view patriotism as important today. How about religion? That's down to 39%. That's down by about 10-ish percent. And uh, just 30% see having kids as important. So that's down 13% from 2019. These are pretty discouraging stats. What bothers you most about these changes for for you all? I'd love to get your thoughts, Crystal and Kristen. I mean, wow. Just uh, you said discouraging. I don't know if there's a better word for it. You know, if we just take isolate one of those, for example, the patriotism one, that's a significant drop from 60% to 38%. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has a lot to do with, you know, we see these numbers in trust in media and institutions and things like that as well. And just it reflects on the soul of our nation and Mm -hmm. where we're at in terms of the leadership that we've seen, not only in the last two years, but frankly, for the last few decades, right? Americans are really feeling this, not just literally in their day-to-day, but but in their heart of hearts, right? Yeah. And, and so that's where I think this this patriotism number is so significant. And mm-hmm. obviously, it spills over into, into other areas as well. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I think that is truly the most terrifying statistic is how, how much that has fallen. You, you go from 60% to almost 38%. And I'm not exactly sure that what caused it. I think a lot of different little cracks broke the, that glass. Um But I think you can kind of reflect back on how the media has really handled news events and like propaganda pushed a narrative that you should hate your country. Like you're looking at parents being called terrorists. You're looking and seeing police officers and they're also being, you know, charged with murder and things that were simply self-defense or, you know, them doing their jobs. And I think this quick to judge behavior is something that has kind of been a, a a plague recently because of the rise in social media usage and the rise of everyone with an opinion just kind of sharing it and people latching on to what is socially the most acceptable or socially what makes them the most popular. Mm -hmm. Um, It's scary because when I was growing up, and I'm sure y'all feel this way too, I know I'm not in the cool 30s club yet, but I'm getting there. I'm getting (laughs) there. One day. Someday. (laughs) Um, Enjoy your 20s. <laughs> but I think when I was growing up, you know, people, you wanted to be an athlete or a really good singer or, you you know, you worked hard. My um, favorite quote ever is the vision of a champion is someone bent over drenched in sweat at the point of exhaustion when no one's mm-hmm. looking. Mm-hmm. I think that the change in this generation is people want to have others looking. Oh, and. Wow. It's just that type of constant validation is not only harmful for mental health, but also just kind of changing, like pushing the needle into a direction of I don't care that much about, you know, 
why I'm doing it. I just care about the attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so much of that was wrought from the isolation that mm-hmm. we saw during COVID yeah. because when you're pushed to just essentially be by yourself for a year with only a handful of people, what else are you going to think about but yourself? And while you're alone and isolated, you're being told you can't trust the right, the left, the news, the this, the yep. data, the companies, all of you. Who can, you can't trust anyone, mm. yeah. right? And you're locked away in your home by yourself. You're isolated. And, and as humans, we're wired to need community and to rely and depend on one another. And, and we get satisfaction and joy from intimate relationships mm-hmm. with friends, with neighbors, and things like that with our community, really that basic, basic civil institution. And we lost that for nearly two years we in did. most of the country. Yeah. And the, the consequences, I think we're just starting to see these are the dire consequences mm-hmm. that not only is it kids falling behind in school, but it is things like individuals feeling like, ah, I'm not actually that proud to be an American because my government shoved me in my home for two years and told me not to come out. How, you know, I, I think these are these are the implications. And even when we go larger, I mean, what what does a lack of patriotism mean for us as a society, even when it comes to things like national security, when mm-hmm. when you have a crisis in the nation and all of a sudden we need troops to defend our country, well, if if less than half of the country considers themselves to be patriotic, what's their reason to actually defend what we have here? A thousand percent. And you're seeing that reflected, frankly, in recruiting numbers, right? I think the Army was recruiting numbers were down they missed their goal by 25% nearly last year. The other branches for a combination of 50%. Mm. And really, I've heard it said that the military is a microcosm of American society. You've got, you know, all kinds of people that end up in, in our armed forces and, and God bless them for it. But to that point, you know, you're saying if people are not patriotic, if they don't feel like there's something to fight for, what reason do they have to sign up to literally sacrifice their life Mm -hmm. for this nation. And I think that's really sad. You know, uh, Kristen, you can touch on this more, but tomorrow, well, rewind, about a year ago, uh, (laughs) Heritage President Dr. Roberts commissioned a national independent panel on military service and readiness. And this panel uh, is led by Congressman Waltz out of Florida, who has a great service record himself. And they looked into data and polling from current active duty service Mm -hmm. members and reasons why they were discouraged or not feeling like they wanted to Mm reenlist and and things like that. And and a lot of it had to do with wokeness and politicization in our military, which is utterly depressing. Uh, I mean, this is supposed to be a war fighting institution, not focused on pronouns and the like. So there's that. But uh, to that point, Kristen, if you want to share anything about it tomorrow or today, actually, our (laughs) final report comes out from this panel. And there's some pretty damning findings. Yeah, that was a perfect way to cue that up, actually. Um, Yeah, so some of the, basically this report, what they started by doing is kind of evaluating the landscape of, you know, what is causing this recruitment crisis? You know, we've missed this mark so, so badly, and then it's going to continue trend-wise. But um, they took a poll of active military members, and essentially what they found is 68% of active military members have witnessed uh, polarizing, over-politicized policies in the Mm. military while serving, and that 65% of of those that have experienced or witnessed that um, are somewhat concerned by it. And I think, you know, absolutely, we've seen the Biden administration push this DEI um, 
propaganda, agenda. yeah, yeah. agenda, yeah. <laughs> and um, forced you know people to leave due to COVID uh, vaccination requirements. Um, we're seeing a blatant attack on military members, and I think what's scariest about this is 68% of those polled said that this would impact whether or not they would recommend service to their children. So I think what's, for for me, how I see this really playing long term is I have military members in my family, super proud, super patriotic. It kind of goes back to that, that value. Those people that have, you know, lived their life fighting for freedom, honoring their country, don't want their kids to serve because mm-hmm. they know that this is not the America or the military that they fought for. And that is incredibly discouraging. It's our team is falling apart and it's a worse time than ever before because China is a nuclear power. Russia is a nuclear power. We are seeing Iran step up. We are seeing North Korea step up. We are seeing a world that is becoming just way more dangerous than ever before. The last thing we need is for the next generation and the current generation of military warfighters to feel discouraged and unsupported by an administration as focused on social propaganda as this. Mm. Well, and that leads to then the question of how do we fix it? Because that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. We cannot stand as the the world leader as a country if we don't have individuals who are who are willing to fight and die for our nation and even i mean even looking at at the value for having kids i mean we we can't continue as a society when just 30 percent of our population views having children as something that's actually important so you know what what for you all when, when you think about that when you think about solutions are the things that come to mind Yeah, I mean, I think kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, there's this lack of, you know, you need to work hard to get what you want. You get out what you put in. Mm. And I think that, you know, it makes sense, too, because we're seeing this this battle against sports and this battle with the transgender movement. Just tie that in for a hot minute. But um, (laughs) I I think we really need to go back and and reevaluate, you know, kids are behind in school. How do we instill traditional American values of you work hard and you get what you want? anything's possible and just love thy neighbor. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't matter that the color of their skin is. Let's go back to the Martin Luther King days, (laughs) Junior King days, um, and uh, and really get this right. I I have been watching Friday Night Lights for the last few months, and (laughs) I just think that we need a Coach Taylor out there Uh, saying, you know, motivational phrases. Get it together. Let's go. Let's go, America. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just to dovetail off that. I wish it was as simple, to be frank, as pass this policy or Mm -hmm. dissolve this department or elect this person to office. I wish it was that simple, yeah. right? But but really what we're up against to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning is this is a battle for the soul of our nation. Yeah. And so really until you, the listener, us in this room, until we can go to our local Rotary Clubs, our churches, our, mm-hmm. our community centers really, and sit down with someone who believes differently than we do mm-hmm. and have a genuine, honest conversation and maybe – start to sway their opinion until we can get to that point where we feel confident and comfortable in having those challenging conversations, there's not much that's going to change. If I can add just one thing, too, I think that this push to remove God from our country um, and when it's been founded upon all of these God-given freedoms, like that has been a major push by the left that we've seen and just 
socialists in general. And there needs to be another great awakening. And I'm actually very encouraged because um, I've talked to, you know, priests and a few of my, my religious friends, and they are very hopeful that, you know, in the 1970s, a similar thing happened where mm-hmm. there was all this chaos, all of this craziness. But then there was a great awakening that that shook our nation and really brought us back to our roots. And I think that that I'm encouraged and hopeful because God has a plan. He's in control. And mm-hmm. I'm just there's nothing but hope here. <laughs> yeah, which is so good. Like we have to hold on to that hope. And and Kristen, I love that you brought that up because like we talked about on, on the show, maybe like six weeks ago, there's so much happening spiritually at so many college campuses mm-hmm. and even around the world that people are so hungry for truth. And I think they're so hungry for something real and what is more real than a relationship with God and actually pursuing that. Um, and at the end of the day, <laughs> like that, that may be probably is the only thing that can actually really bring us back is that return to a relationship with the Lord and putting those biblical values first. Um, and, and I do want to take a second before we move on here, you know, as, as we think about everything that is happening in our world and, and the need for God and for prayer, uh, we of course are remembering the families in Tennessee that were affected by the shooting uh, and and just really, you know, I think we can so easily jump to, well, this should have happened or this was the reason for the shooting. Uh, and you know, politicians weigh in and make laws. And at the end of the day, you know, this was a human tragedy and it's sin that drives these kinds of things. And we can get into the weeds of this and this and this. Um, but for, for anyone listening, please, you know, Take, take time this week to, to, if you're a praying person, to pray for those families affected, to pray for that community. Speaking as someone who went to a private Christian school, um, you know, this obviously makes everyone start to think differently of, okay, these shootings not only happen in public schools, but now they can happen in private schools. Now they can, they can happen anywhere, which is, is um, really kind of does test your faith a little bit and makes you feel a little bit insecure and have to remember, okay, you know, I'm not in control. There's a lot of factors that happen in our world that we are very much out of control of. What is the thing that I have control of? I have control over loving the people around me. I have control uh, over choosing faith, over uh, choosing to treat people well, over choosing when I need help to get help. Um, So just praying for those families this week. But let's take a quick break here. Uh, We have lots more news coming up, but I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to stay in the know and get the news every week that I care about. If you're anything like me, you love researching random topics, interesting topics, funny topics on YouTube and just being entertained. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is well-researched and trustworthy. And that's where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and give you the data and the facts succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so, so, so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you can stay informed and never miss out on the news that you care about. 
All right. So religion is is making a comeback into the the social scene, uh, specifically (laughs) with uh, Pope Francis channeling his inner Kim Kardashian West in a viral photo that was released on Twitter on Monday, wearing what seemed to be a Balenciaga maxi puffer jacket resembling something out of Rihanna's halftime show. The photo shocked Pontiff fans everywhere. But here's the catch. According to the fact-checking website Snopes, the image wasn't real. It was created using MidJourney, an artificial intelligence tool that can generate lifelike content. Users simply must enter a few keywords and poof, out pops a pope in a coat. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of this kind of digitally altered content on social media isn't new, though. In 2019, deep fakes began to plague the Internet, confusing users with drunken videos of Nancy Pelosi and threatening videos regarding user data from Zuckerberg himself. Though, given the artificial movement of these videos, many can easily distinguish deep fakes versus real videos. In contrast, the realism of these AI-generated pictures has left many doubtful about whether seeing is truly believing. Just last week, while rumors of former President Trump's arrest arose, leaked photos of the arrest also surfaced, causing an uproar. Concerns over the abuse of this photo-generating AI and misleading nature of their realism have many people wondering how this will shape the distribution of information in the future. So I'm sure you guys saw the photo of the Pope. I'm sure you guys saw the photo of Trump. What What were your initial thoughts when you saw that? It's amazing how real they look. Yeah. It honestly looks like a photo that was taken. I If I thought it if I saw it at a glance, I never would question it. You think, oh, wow, that's a little strange or weird. I didn't know that the Pope wore puffer jackets, but okay. And I, I'm remembering probably about four years ago at the Heritage Foundation, we had a panel on deep fakes, and it was a big conversation, and it felt very out there. Oh, man, this feels far away, but it's really weird, and it's creepy, and it's wild that now we're seeing this play out. And I think the question is how widespread could this become and how much will this affect people's trust of the news? If I can look at something and either I don't know that it's true or maybe I can kind of live in denial because I can, you know, my friends are saying, no, 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 this is real. This really happened. But, you know, you're saying, mm, I, yeah, that could have been deep fake. Was it really real? It adds this level of questioning to everything as it relates to the news and brings a lot of mistrust when we already know that there's great mistrust, often very well-founded mistrust of the news. But this is at a whole other level where literally we can create fake reality. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, to lighten things up a little, I suppose. No, uh, I mean, this whole artificial intelligence conversation is so wild. And to your point, Virginia, we've been talking about this for years and and kind of obscure and out there ways. Uh, Much, I would presume, like space travel was talked about back in the day before it was like normalized Mm -hmm. and a thing, right? Uh, To be honest, when I first saw the Pope in the Balenciaga, Balenciaga Pope, I was like, dang, like, He's super trendy. Like, what is going on? You know, Balenciaga has her own (laughs) issues. Like, well, that's a conversation for another day. But nevertheless, I was like, okay, Pope, like, this is this is different. This is interesting. Um, But at the end of the day, when it comes down to this artificial intelligence, I think it's less about mistrust of the machines and more about mistrust of who is behind the 
algorithms or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, uh, you know, who's who is behind manipulating what these AI protocols and um, software systems are spitting out on the other end, right? And and that's where I think the questions need to be raised of mm-hmm. who who's behind this, what are their intentions, and um, where do we go from here? Yeah, I think what's important here, too, is we've already started to see people kind of raise their hand and say, I know who should make those decisions. And on Twitter, actually, they had a little banner with that that photo that said this was generated by an AI machine. But mm. like we kind of saw with the COVID flagging and things like that, there's there's some mistrust with those little messages on each tweet. Um, actually, a specialist on CNN, I made it through CNN the other day, um, they <laughs> were talking about that same thing of how policymakers should be, you know, focused now on on creating mechanisms to identify and flag these types of images that are generated. And the main concern from this, this Twitter specialist uh, that was speaking said that it's it just kind of the slippery slope effect of when mm. policymakers get involved, who, how, how involved do they become and what does that mean for the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression, et cetera. Obviously, we can't have fake photos going around. And as a Catholic, I know that the Pope cannot be wearing materials like that just because, you know, he, he might want to be super trendy. I know he lives near Milan and fashion <laughs> center of the world, but that's just not his MO or, or it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's not how the Pope has been symbolized in the past. And and he's got a very distinguished role. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's fun. I love it. I love that I can, you know, type my name in and say, be an astronaut and see myself as an astronaut. But it, it does get scary when it comes to the news and, and who can regulate that. It's a very brave new world. It is a brave new world. And I think there's a whole other, this could be a whole other conversation on the job side, but Mm -hmm. the increase where we have AI can do so much. AI can write tweets for you now. They can write scripts for you now. Mm, This is putting all of our jobs at risk. (laughs) Yes, yes, and. Maybe not. (laughs) We have some fun reels on the Heritage Instagram page of us playing with AI, chat GPT, and all Mm -hmm. that good stuff and asking them to formulate tweets or to write a caption about XYZ, you know, article from the Daily Signal or research paper that one of our policy folks has put together. And I'm pretty sure like nine and a half out of ten times we get something incredibly woke or Mm -hmm. they try to dial it back or they put a disclaimer. It's like... You put this, which is technically grammatically correct, but you might want to consider doing this X, Y, Z because it's more inclusive or whatever. And it's like, I don't really need your suggestions, ChatGPT. <laughs> Thank <we> you. <laughs> Next. It is wild that these things are actually – the woke is programmed into the coding. Right. Oh, wild. Yeah. No, I think everyone just wants to put their finger on the scale with this type of stuff. And we need to get ahead of it before, you know, it starts to perpetuate like COVID did. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of things that we should have gotten ahead of before it got insane, let's talk about the border crisis. So you all probably recently heard in the news about the fire that happened at the detention center down in Mexico. Let's just run through what exactly happened there. Of course, this is such a tragic situation. There are estimated to be about 40 people that were 
killed in this fire. It's reported that there were almost uh, 70 men from South and Central America that were being held in a migrant facility in Mexico that was just across the border from El Paso, Texas. And some of the men in that facility, they learned that they were going to be deported. And as an act of protest, they pushed mattresses against the bars of their detention center and set them on fire. The president of Mexico, Lopez Obrador, he said that the migrants who started the fire never imagined that this would cause this terrible misfortune. And I mean, this event, my goodness, to see the pictures of you know blankets laid out over bodies and women weeping as they learn that you know, their their husband died in this fire, I just cannot imagine um, that level of pain and grief and shock. But it's a reminder of the fact that the policies of the Biden administration, they're not only failing America, but they're failing the migrants who have hopes of coming to America. Biden has communicated to migrants, the border is open, come to America, no problem. And now that Biden's policies are, are shifting just a tiny bit because of the crisis that he created, migrants, they're angry that you know they're, they're not able to get into the country and we're seeing just devastation after devastation after devastation, and this just being the latest. And, you know, I know I, I was recently down in Arizona at the border and just so overwhelmed by the fact that this has been going on now for three years. The situation has not improved. We've seen just new problems arise, sort of the crisis. I feel like the ball keeps getting thrown. It's like, okay, this is on fire. So they sort of throw a little bit of water here, but then this catches on fire. It's just the policies continue to wreak havoc. So when I was in Arizona, I was literally at the border at three o'clock in the morning and I met migrants from nine different countries in, in a group of 50 illegal aliens. They were individuals from India, from China, from the nation of Georgia. The world has gotten the message that mm -hmm. our border is open and they are coming. And Crystal, I know you were recently just down in Texas at the border, and it's a very similar situation. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, the border crisis is just that, right? And it's a national security crisis. It's about law and order. But at the end of the day, when we say the border crisis is a humanitarian crisis, this story is exactly what we're talking about, right? We saw earlier this week, Alejandro Mayorkas, <laughs> our DHS secretary, was questioned by Ted Cruz really scathingly about mm -hmm. the border crisis. And, and we have heads of Border Patrol coming forward and saying, we don't have operational control of the border anymore and, and admitting this in testimony in front of Congress, right? And they have to be truthful about this and they are coming and asking for help. And Mayorkas, this week in his dialogue with Ted Cruz. I wouldn't necessarily call it dialogue. It was very heated. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. It was it was intense. It but, was. You know, children that are being trafficked by drug cartels, wearing bracelets, coming to the border. These are things that we know. And Senator Cruz held up a photo of those bracelets and asked Secretary Mayorkas, you know, do you know what these are? And he said, no, I have no mm -hmm. idea what those are. But we supposedly have operational control of the border. Mm -hmm. Which is not left up to interpretation. There's an actual definition for what operational control is that Mayorkas, as head of Homeland Security, he, 
knows. He definitely is familiar with what that is to have operational control. Um, and yet he refuses, refused repeatedly when Senator Cruz questioned him, re- yeah. refused to actually say, uh, no, we, we don't. And I think at the end of the day, I think he knows, no, we don't have operational control. But of course, they're he digging their that. heels in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you were just in Arizona. I was just down in the Rio Grande Valley. I spent a few days in McAllen and Brownsville. And when you talk to people on the ground, you get the true story, the mm-hmm. real picture of what's going on. And the communities along the southern border, while this truly is a every town is a border town crisis in the U.S. because these migrants are being shipped all over the U.S., mm-hmm. every single congressional district. But nevertheless, the border communities are facing the brunt of having to deal with this on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. to be quite honest, they do not have the resources they need to be able to deal with the amount of influx, let alone the medical demand. We talked to a paramedic who was like, we we just frankly don't have enough ambulances mm. to deal with the number of medical crises wow. from wow. migrants, let alone from the community that pay taxes for our services. Yeah. And so it, it just the spillover effect is is real and it's very intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it we need to remember too that there have been a ton of reminders of we need to get this together. This is a crisis. Governor Greg Abbott handed President Biden a letter when he finally did decide to to visit the border. But to your point, Crystal, yeah, Ted Cruz, he was pretty aggressive, but I think rightfully so, because this impacts his constituents directly. And he knows that and he is fed up. He straight up told the secretary to do his job. And yeah. I think a lot of people have been saying that. And I really hope that that rings true. Um Another another point, though, that I've been hearing a lot, and I'm sure you guys have kind of experienced this while you were at the border, or maybe not, because it has to do with fentanyl, so I hope you guys were nowhere near that, but um, it, it, there's so many people that have been impacted by the drug and that have lost loved ones, and that just perpetuates the humanitarian crisis further. And when you talk to families, we recently had one of uh, our Daily Signal reporters interview a family um, that lost loved ones to the fentanyl crisis. And at the end of the day, these people are saying, I don't care who solves it. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. I just want it solved because I don't want anyone else to lose family members. And so that's what's so frustrating, I think, um, from a, a perspective removed a little bit, is there are people literally begging both sides to step up and to do their jobs, and they are not. Um, this is not a red or a blue issue. It's, not. it's, mm-hmm. a, it's an American issue. It yeah. is, 100%. And the steps to take are we have to secure our border physically. Yes, that means with a wall. That means with a technology package, which already exists. It's just it was decommissioned under the Biden mm-hmm. administration. So it's putting those measures in place. It's allowing Border Patrol to do their job. When you ask Border Patrol, what do you need? They say, we just want to be able to do our job. We already have the the resources that we need if Biden would just put put things back in place and allow Border Patrol to actually enforce the laws that we already have. I think what's important, too, is this is just the beginning of this crisis. If we don't get a handle on it, um, just to plug Project 2025 real quick. <laughs> if you guys haven't signed up or re- looked into this, go to project2025.org. But one of the recommendations in our uh, DHS chapter is to commercialize some of the aspects of this. And that is not only to address the issues at the border, but also at our major airports. I have family members mm. that work in the Atlanta uh, airport which is international and huge and the amount of people that he sends back uh, from 
from Atlanta to their home country because they are here illegally or they are caught bringing drugs like fentanyl into our country. Mm. Yes, the border is our biggest port of entry, but we still have these international airports that are, you know, regulated by lawmakers in the, the states that they are in and they are largely ignored and they're struggling just as much. They're pulling overtime hours. Some of them are even being pulled out of those airports and sent to the border because it is in shambles. And if we don't get our border right, there's no, we're not going to be able to get any of this right. Mm. Back to it being a national security issue. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 100%. Wow. Well, we could keep going with this because there's just so much with the border. And for anyone who wants to dig a little bit deeper, I'll push you towards both the Daily Signal website and the Heritage Foundation, um, our, our YouTube page again, because we this is one of the issues that truly we see as one of the biggest issues in our day and age, because if we don't get this right, so many other things in our country fall apart. But stay with us, because up next, we're going to be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now it is that time once again, one of our favorite times of the week here on Problematic Woman. Time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... Ellen Troxclair. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to uh, crown the problematic woman of the week. Yes. Uh, she's a dear friend of mine and uh, just an amazing advocate for not just women, but also for conservative values. Uh, Ellen Troxclair is a Texas state representative from House District 19, which is Central Texas, Travis County, the blueberry and the tomato soup, if you're, <laughs> if you're familiar with Texas politics. But she used to be, or she's a former Austin City Councilwoman. She got really involved because of property taxes, and she was, you know, just fighting back against how high those were in, in the city of Austin, joined the city council, was the only conservative the entire time she was there. You can imagine the kind of battle she had to fight. Mm. Uh, and she's taken that fervor to the state house where she has authored, I think, more bills than any freshman I've ever seen, which, you know, whatever, here, there. Uh, but she's authored a, a, a number of bills that are Amazing. And I just want to highlight two today. One um, is modeled on our friends over at IWF, Independent Women's Forum, their Women's Bill of Rights. It's her House Bill 3883, her What is a Woman Bill. And it's really just doubling down on defining what a woman is, which we've talked about on this show. And it's completely asinine that we even have to have that conversation. But it expands, you know, uh, those the rights of women to be women and not have our sports and, and things of the like uh, co-opted by biological males. So mm -hmm. uh, hat tip to Ellen on that one. The second one, which is really fascinating, is uh, House Bill 3539. 
And this is a bill that creates a Texas ammunition manufacturing facility. Mm. Stay with me because this is really interesting. So this bill would create a public-private partnership in the state of Texas for the construction and operation of a facility to create ammunition and the like, uh, not just for public safety officials in the state of Texas to purchase and use for training and while they're on the job, policemen, DPS, uh, you know, Texas Rangers, the like, but also for the public. And and really, this is a way for the state of Texas to shore up ammunition supply when yeah. we've seen a shortage across the country. So it's really unique. It, it's a very interesting concept. And um, Ellen Troxclair, congratulations on being our problematic woman of the week. Woohoo! <gasps> very well deserved. And now I want to read her book. She has this oh, book yeah, called Step Up, How to Advocate yeah. Like a Woman. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she did. She wrote a book. Um, I think it was a bestseller for a while and really just, uh, you know, detailing her story of courage and, and not being afraid to if you're she was a realtor, mm-hmm. a mom. Wow. And she was like, this is wrong. Yeah. And I need to say something about it. And that's how she ended up becoming a city councilwoman and now a house rep. So literally stepping up. Yeah. That is awesome. What a queen too. the property tax inspo. I just I totally relate living in Virginia. <laughs> oh, yeah. You feel it. Yeah. Awesome. Man. Well, amazing. Congrats to Ellen. And that is a great place to leave it. So with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. It's really, really helpful for us. We first off just love seeing your feedback, but then it actually does help to really grow the show. So thank you to those who have left those reviews and thank you in advance to those who were just about to. You're pulling out your phone right now to do it, to leave that review. Thank you. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.